one Cyberman, but then thousands. Humans like all of you, changed into empty solar shells. No feeling, no control, no way back. I will not lose anyone else to that. Do not follow me. Adam, I'm here to congratulate you once again on being correct. Why, thank you very much. I don't think it happens often. I don't think I've gotten very many predictions right over the past couple years, but this one I've been silently celebrating to myself over the past couple days after watching the episode. We're pretty we're pretty hit and miss on our predictions, like probably most people as you're you're trying to predict where a show is going to go. You know, you kind of throw out some random wacky predictions. Sometimes you're right, sometimes you're wrong. But I was very excited for you on this one because we had we had you had made this prediction a couple episodes back where you felt like the the when we get to the Mary Shelley episode it's going to be related to the Cybermen because there's a connection with you know Frankenstein and the way Cybermen kind of are function what they are and you kind of made this cool connection I was like oh that's a good idea so I jumped on your boat I jumped on that big <laughs> wagon and I was like yeah I'll, I agree with you I think that that's going to happen and then they released the synopsises for the episodes, and it was like, nope, Cybermen yep. are going to be in the finale. Uh, Quickly walked that one back. Yeah, the Mary Shelley thing is not related, and we, you, you kind of were like, well, I guess I was wrong. But remember, I said there was still a glimmer of hope that maybe they would introduce the Cybermen into this episode to set up the finale. And man, were we right. We were. That's exactly we were what spot they did. On. Although I think, I, I, to be honest, I think I said it's probably not going to happen, but it could. You know, <laughs> so I, I didn't even have confidence in my own prediction. I'm not going to lie. When the reveal happened during the episode, I, in all reality, threw my hands into the air and said, I was right. <laughs> That's and, what I did. I turned to Victoria and said, Adam was right. <laughs> That's awesome. But I was I was pretty pretty pleased with myself at that point, and then I quickly got back into the episode and enjoyed watching everything unfold from that point forward. Yes, definitely. Uh, well, we should we're gonna just jump right into the episode review of the haunting of Villa Diodati. Uh, this is the episode that features Mary Shelley and a handful of other writers. Which I now know way more about because I wikied, I went into Wikipedia and looked up all these people. I think I knew, like I knew who Mary Shelley was and I knew Lord Byron, but I didn't really know a lot about them. I will admit, right off the top here, that I'm not a big like gothic fiction fan. Okay. So okay. although I know these names and I know what Mary Shelley is known for, I'm not someone who has read that content. It's it's quite the cast. Um, I again, Lord Byron. Okay, yep. Um, Percy Shelley, sure. Mary Shelley. Okay, I'll take it. But knowing of them and knowing more about them, two totally different things. So I knew them just in passing. Uh, Polidori have no. I've never heard that name before. But I'm glad to know that I'm not alone. That like Wikipedia in some of these historical episodes of Doctor Who is my friend. <laughs> um, I will I will research every little tidbit about things that are pulled into the episode. Like, did John Polidori really, or did Polidori really sleepwalk? Like, was that really something that he struggled with? Sure enough, he, he actually wrote a paper about it. Um, different aspects like that. It's fun to watch those connections be made in the episode. Yeah, there, was there were definitely a number of lines dropped about kind of the events in the lives of these characters that did line up with actual historical events. And the fact that they were all in this place at this time, you know, was very accurate as well. This is actually, surprisingly, this is not the first time that the Doctor has interacted with these same characters in the same location, if you count the audio dramas. It is interesting, because the eighth Doctor in the audio drama, Mary's story, basically has a run-in like kind of I'll, well, I'll read the description that I, I found here online it says 
Uh, following the arrival of a seriously wounded eighth doctor at the Villa Villa, and his apparent death shortly thereafter, Byron suggested conducting an experiment to determine whether the corpse could be reanimated by lightning. While both Mary and Polidori strongly objected, Byron performed the experiment with Percy's assistance. The younger version of the eighth doctor, who arrived after his future self had, had been revived by the lightning, commented that Lord Byron's look was very Byronic. <laughs> so the eighth doctor is, has already been here and has already done this stuff. If you consider the audio dramas. Okay. Canon. That, that is, that is confusing how that would fit with this, but that does explain some notes that I spotted here and there as I rewatched the episode and I was reading through a transcript and it made, made some mention of um, where the doctor and Yaz and Ryan and Graham have their, um, appearance in the episode it made some side note that if this was the eighth doctor he would appear nearly dead and so on and so forth and i was found that somewhat curious but i didn't dig into that any further but that explains why someone would make such a note on the transcript i was reading i i guess that's one reason why regenerations are handy right because the doctor can have multiple run-ins with his same individual but as long as the doctor has a different face um, it's a brand new meeting. <laughs> yeah. So after, um, after Jodie Whittaker's doctor left, then the eighth doctor showed up. I mean, it just right? all happened <laughs> in the same night. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we are talking about, so they are in this location, Lake Geneva, June of 1816. Yes. And they're at this cool place, this mansion. And, you know, this is a legitimate, like we were saying before, this is re this is really um, a real place, and the events of them being there together and what inspired uh, Frankenstein is you know all historically accurate. I actually pull so I grabbed a, a paragraph out of the Wikipedia page that I wanted to read here just to just to show kind of how it all lines up. But this is from the Wikipedia page specifically about the mansion. Um, so the, the Villa Diodati is a mansion in the village of Cologne near Lake Geneva in Switzerland, notable because Lord Byron rented it and stayed there with John Polidori in the summer of 1816. Mary Shelley and Percy Bysshe Shelley, who had rented a house nearby, were frequent visitors. Because of poor weather in June 1816, the group famously spent three days together inside the house creating stories to tell each other two of which were developed into landmark works of the gothic horror genre. Frankenstein by Mary Shelley and The Vampire, uh, the first modern vampire story by Polidori. So that's from a, you know, so that's a historical, um, you know, that's a basically the history of this mansion. But when you read that, it lines up perfectly with what we see in a fictional television show, which I thought they did really good about. And it, I, we've, we've commented on it multiple times, but this one seems closer to, I don't know, historically accurate more than what might, or more than what we experienced with Tesla's night of terror. Right. But the, the closer you get to actual history and then you blend these pieces of doctor who into it, I don't know. It just does something really special to the episode. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed seeing how everything tied together and then how the writers of this episode kind of took some of these historical events, looped them again into Dr. Who lore and let things play out from there. So do you have the transcript? I do. Of the yep. episode. The episode starts out with, you know, kind of Lord Byron and Polidori and Miss Claremont and Shelley, Miss, Mrs. Shelley, um, as they called her. They're kind of all hanging out in the mansion. And the dialogue at the very beginning is very dramatic. Probably like, I'm probably underselling how dramatic it is. <laughs> and I thought it was funny because I think my for the way I... The way I took it was this was an intentional, over dramatic, um, 
delivery of their lines and the way they're looking out the window at the weather and the words they're using to describe how gloomy it is and it's all very dramatic but it makes sense for people that are going to eventually write gothic fiction oh yeah absolutely to me it was a mix of like a a period movie where you get some of these characters who are somewhat over the top but then you also have these very artistic uh poetic characters historically speaking who are just describing their current present situation so when you get where when you get phrases like oh dank and frigid um the the most ungenial summer i've never known air as dank and frigid like uh, it probably fits personality and the nature of each of one of these individuals moving forward and this is where they introduced my favorite character of the episode, the valet, <laughs> or the valet. Uh, so, <laughs> so when he when he ultimately claims himself to be the the valet, I immediately thought of Nardle for some reason. <laughs> it was like, oh, we know we know the valet. Oh wait, never mind. Rest in peace. <laughs> Well, I like this guy because they're 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 showing these characters and their over dramatic lines and their delivery, and then they pan over to this guy standing off in the corner. And he just rolls his eyes. Exactly, and that was right? me. <laughs> <laughs> that was a representation of me at the point at this point in the episode where I'm just rolling my eyes like, oh my gosh, hopefully the whole episode's not like this. I, I think I think that's the indication though that the characters are being exactly who they ought to have been at that point. And it was supposed to be over dramatic. It was supposed to be over the top. And Fletcher was supposed to be that that indication of, okay, this is a little much, but this is exactly who they are. Yeah, and he does and honestly, that like, throughout. Look at the ages of some of them. Like Mary Shelley at this point, I believe, is only supposed to be 16 years old. Really? So, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that was not much older than 16. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking that they—they're very much the, almost. They're they're almost unlikable, in a way as characters. I mean, Lord Byron was straight up unlikable throughout, but it's they're the they're the type of characters that they're. The the class like it's it's almost like this time period where, they're just very wealthy and young and they have the privilege to just be like. I don't know. Let's go just rent a mansion. And <laughs> oh, oh, there's a mansion over there too. So we'll rent that mansion so we can have our own mansion and then we'll get together and tell ghost stories. It's almost like wow. Like <laughs> there's there probably were better uses for your money in the uh, early 1800s. Yeah, they're definitely the upper crust of society yes. at that point. Right. Yeah. Which is it's fun to watch those type of characters from time to time. I mean, I watched Downton Abbey but it, at the same time, you're kind of it's almost kind of cringy on like how like, oh, wow, these are they're kind of the uh, they're the elite and they're they're wallowing in it a bit. Yeah. So so backtracking just slightly. So Mary and Percy fell in love. She was nearly 17 when they initially fell in love. So at this point, they have William. She was probably a little bit older than that, but still not not necessarily so, so you marry those two things together. All the characters were fairly young, plus they were affluent. So you're probably going to get some of that more. Uh, it's probably going to grade on you slightly more. Right. Yeah. Especially if you're older, an old person like me. <laughs> like, I don't want to watch these teenagers telling stories. We're, we're, we're those youths. We're in the same boat. <laughs> those youths, okay? yeah. You can't claim age anymore. I'm right there with you. Uh, you're significantly younger than me. You just don't look like it. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Moving well on. Played. So they, so they get this, uh, this knock at the door scares them as they're telling these ghost stories, and then they go there, and it's the doctor and her friends, and we get to see them in in uh, outfits of the time, which was kind of cool. I always like it when they do that. Although Liaz had a ridiculous hat on. She did. Um, she did have a ridiculous hat. I liked how the doctor, how she actually had clothing of the time, but then also still had her like regular jacket. 
Yeah, there she definitely wasn't totally two time period. She wouldn't she couldn't fully commit, but if you look I took a look back at it cuz I was trying to remember. I was like, "Wait, was she wearing regular clothes or because she has that kind of iconic look now where she's got that blouse with the kind of rainbow stripes across it." Yeah. And then she also has that jacket that has the hood. And so she didn't have the blouse now, so she had kind of like more uh, you know, of the time looking clothing underneath of the jacket, but she still had the jacket over top of it. So she couldn't fully commit. The rest of them were fully committed to the cosplay. She was not quite all the way in. <laughs> nice. I I particularly enjoyed uh, Graham attempting to sound like he belonged in this point <laughs> when the door opens up. Yes, yeah, so he was uh, what he starts quoting Yes, because it is truth universally acknowledged. Wrong writer. Yes, yeah, yeah. So he's he's quoting um, Pride and Prejudice. Yes, which is not Jane Austen. Anybody in that building? So, nope. but he kept he he committed to it though, and I liked it. I liked him trying to, you know, speak the lingo almost like he was <laughs> doing his best attempt. He had his outfit on. He's trying to speak the lingo, and then Ryan's just like, "Can you just let us inside?" You know, he's just like, "Yeah, I don't, I'm not I'm not doing this." Before we drown to death, I just <laughs> need in there. It's it's wet out here. Yeah, so that was. And then the doctor tried to use her psychic paper, which didn't work, which I was kind of thinking that was maybe just an indication that these people are just too intelligent. They're, you know, some of the more intelligent people in history um, and that they wouldn't fall for something like that. Okay, I'm glad that that is where your mind went as well, because she she makes a whole statement in regards to like hey it might just need to be blow dried it might have gotten wet and that's why it's not working my immediate thought though was that it's somewhat like a jedi mind trick right it, it doesn't work on or it only works on the weak-minded um right i thought that was similar with the psychic paper right? it, it's only going to work on those that are easily convinced by what they're saying none of these people were easily convinced by what they were seeing in that moment yeah that's definitely how i read it um the one thing i thought was funny was when they went up to the door and Lord Byron's being all dramatic and he's, you know, let's see what evil is behind this door or whatever. And then he opens it and then they all jump like they're scared. But then when you notice the doors there, the doors are made out of glass. Yeah. And you right. can see right through them. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's why um, they, they shot it from the perspective of watching Byron open the doors as opposed to like over his shoulders because mm -hmm. Shooting it from the other way, it would have been like, wait a second, why are you scared by four people that you could have seen through the glass? Yeah, they did a pretty good job in the way they filmed it that you didn't quite notice. But I definitely, you know, as he's opening the doors and you see the doors are basically just windows. Right. That he's kind of opening and it's all glass panes. And I'm like, oh, he they they saw them the whole time. I don't know why they acted so scared. So, um, yeah, you would think that maybe they could have put up regular doors there. So that shot would have made more sense. I mean, when you reuse sets, you gotta you gotta use what you got, right? Budget was low on this one, apparently. Um, yeah, reuse sets, right? Somebody, some eagle eye watcher had pointed out. I, I noticed on Twitter that this is the same set that they used for the house that River was at in New York City. Um, yeah, with the twelfth uh, Doctor, eleventh Doctor, eleventh. Angels take Manhattan. Yes, so. That was that was a, I I don't think I would have noticed that somebody pointed it out and then they did like a side by side shot of that main uh stair staircase and yeah sure enough it definitely is the same set yeah I I definitely appreciated that that individual spotting it and then pointing it out again it was just another cool thing about the episode in my opinion yes they do something weird where they. They meet the doctor and the companions. They welcome into the home, and then they go and do this dance. And this scene, which I like to call the gossip dance, <laughs> the gossip dance, the entire scene I think is just basically set for exposition, so they can kind of give it the backstory of everybody in a in an yep. interesting way. Absolutely. So each one of the characters are kind of dancing with a different person and that person's gossiping about the other person. So you're getting the backstory if you're not super familiar, which I wasn't going into this with who these people are historically. Um, you kind of get 
at least a little bit of information, which I thought was a clever way to do it. Also a little odd, but it, it worked. Yeah. I, again, to me, it was like we were going back and watching scenes from Pride and Prejudice or North. What is that? North and South sisters and daughters, all these other like period pieces that, uh, you can watch in one form or another they all have these dances as a part of it they all have these gossip sessions as a part of it to me it just seemed like it was again another period piece um pre-american civil war early 1800s that type of thing so it fits i guess with the atmosphere again you have a bunch of young people they have a guy who can play the piano they're gonna have a dance um and it's a good way for them to then work into the the episode Really, after this and things start picking up, you wouldn't have had any other opportunity to establish who these individuals were um, and their backstory for those who don't know what's going on. Right. Considering what ends up happening in this episode and how important it is to future events, it's kind of funny that they just basically came here on a whim. I know, right? The doctor, you know, after the last adventure was just like, hey, let's go see Franken, you know, let's go see, she says something about Frankenstein, and they're they're basically, and as they're walking through this house, they're kind of like, okay, we're only going to be here for like an hour, Uh, we just want to just expose ourselves to the intellect of these amazing writers and kind of see them in their craft, you know, they're, they're just there to observe, the doctor didn't go there because she sensed anything was wrong, she didn't go there because the TARDIS took her there for per- greater purposes. It was really on a whim that, which coincidentally means that they ran into, um, you know, the lone Cyberman, which is a huge deal. So very, yeah, very is, convenient coincidence, very convenient coincidence. And I think it's interesting because as the episode sets up and before they get to the dancing, the, the doctor and the companions are walking down the stairs and the doctor's like, um, or basically remember the rules, right? You you can't bring up Frankenstein and there's no snogging Brian or Byron at any point in time throughout the atmosphere throughout the episode. And Graham is like, yep, just soak up the atmosphere and then move on. So we have that part where it's like, don't remember the rules. Don't mess things up. This night is historically important. And then you get nearly to the end of the episode and the doctor's like, history is vulnerable tonight. Like nothing can go wrong because it's so important at this point. Um, it's just interesting to have that reiterated multiple times. But again, like you said, they show up purely on chance, at least from what we've been told, from what we've seen from last episode and this episode, it was just kind of like a pleasure tour. Yeah. I mean, it does seem it's, it definitely seems like in the past, the doctor has shown up to places that they needed to be on a whim, you know, and they just happened to show up at the right place to, to fix something or to help somebody. And, you know, there's a bigger connection to, you know, time lords have a bigger connection, I think, to the universe and time and space and all of that. So although it may seem like, oh, this was just a coincidence um, there could have been more going on that even the doctor wasn't aware of that was leading her here. It's kind of like how I, I like to read it. And that's, that's cool. I'm just trying to, in my mind, recollect an instance where it seemed like by chance for no purpose at all, at least in new who they arrived in a situation where the stakes were this high. Um, I feel like any episode where the stakes have been this high, it's been intentional or they've had some other reason to be drawn to a situation. Um, this one, it seemed like the stakes were super, super high for them to then just arrive purely by chance. Right. Cause in the past, a lot of times they'll end up, they'll end up going to a place where, you know, they're like, Oh, this would be a cool place to visit. They end up going there and then there's some evil alien that's there terrorizing people and they help fix it. Right. But this one's a little bit different in that there had been, um, you know, the Captain Jack incident where he's saying this thing about the lone Cyberman and look out for the lone Cyberman. And then they, on a whim, go to this place and the lone Cyberman happens to be involved. So it wasn't like they were seeking out the lone Cyberman or trying to find him. It just was very coincidental that they ended up landing in the same place that that guy was 
you know, already terrorizing. So yeah, or, I feel or like they show up. We may just be forgetting it, stuff that's happened in the past that would be very similar. But at least in my recent memory, this does seem a little bit more um, coincidental for the like you said the stakes being so high yeah yeah or or i feel like if they do show up and it's purely coincidence it's it's a very isolated type of purely coincidence it's like oh yeah you you just saved this village from this Mm -hmm. marauding alien or you you saved maybe a planet but it's not like a a planet that would directly impact the larger story. This is a purely coincidental thing that is really a driving plot point of the series. <laughs> and it seems like that that's where this is slightly more unique, where it's not just this isolated capsule type situation where they show up by purely incident or purely uh, circumstantial situations and it has a larger stakes, but it's like, it's actually a driving point of the entire series right now. Right. And the doctor quickly realizes things aren't quite right. Yeah, there's a vibe off in the house. Yeah, there's a vibe off. And she notices that, you know, although some of the people that should be there are there, uh, Mr. Shelley is not there. And that's somebody who should be there. So she's starting to realize, like, hey, if this is kind of a historical event and they're supposed to be all here together and he's not here, something's not right. Um, and then freaky right. stuff starts to happen. Freaky stuff starts to happen. Like a bone spider hand coming out of a painting and stairwells kind of putting people into a loop. You know, Graham's and trying to creepy, find them. Creepy people standing in windows yeah. or appearing out of nowhere delivering food. I know you like to be kind of spooked by Doctor Who from time to time. I know I was watching this with... Uh, my wife and she she was freaking out like every time something would happen she's just like freaking out i it didn't really affect me that much but were you were you spooked i i enjoyed it i enjoyed it was spooky like i wasn't i wasn't shield my eyes put a pillow over my head spooked out and honestly i didn't like walk down my hall and look around corners at the end of the episode but it was it had a spooky vibe during the entire thing. Anytime you get creepy people showing up out of nowhere and just kind of standing there as lightning flashes around them and then they disappear, that's that's creepy. Um, skeleton hand, not so much, other than the fact that it looked very much like a spider. And by this point, y'all know I'm not a fan of spiders. Um, <laughs> but the, the the creepy people and the house changing, like that that to me was entertaining. Um, having the house continue to put you in a loop. That's like, that's like nightmare material for me is being stuck in a place that you can't get out. Yeah. It was psychologically disturbing at different points. Uh, when Graham was going up, like there was a, a fine line between it being spooky, but then there was a little bit of comic relief too with Graham's stuff. Yeah. Yep. And he's trying to find, you know, the bathroom and he's trying, you know, he's getting stuck in this loop. But I liked that they didn't, they didn't overplay the humor because I think that would have taken away from the kind of intensity that they were trying to set with what was going on. That if they had kind of overplayed some of the humor, it would have, it wouldn't have worked well. So although there were funny moments, they didn't do it too much with Graham or with Ryan like they've done in the past. Yeah. And I feel like that's where the episode is still at its core doctor who right it 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 allows there to be some suspense it allows there to be some um thriller aspect to it but at the end of the day it is still a i mean family show right it's still considered a a show that families can watch together and those moments with graham is where it kind of brings it back down to earth now would my kids still be freaked out by this episode absolutely um but i think that humor does give it more of that nuance where it's like okay it's not just a a fright fest at this point right i had said earlier that i thought brian or byron was an unlikable character he he does throughout the episode. I mean, he definitely doesn't do a, a, a very good 
case for himself. Like he's constantly seen, being seen doing being kind of a jerk. But he he does kind of hit on the doctor a couple times, which <laughs> I thought was interesting. Where he was trying to you know just be smooth, and she just wasn't she just wasn't having it. She just didn't even. Every time he tried any kind of advance, she's just like, nope. I found that entertaining. Um, and I think that's Byron's character, right? Like he is historically recognized as somewhat of a sleaze, if I recollect correctly. Yeah, um, I mean, it sounded could like... Could be totally wrong, but... No, I think you're right. I mean, he had some scandal in his life and he, I think, left his wife and daughter behind had an affair. I think this um, this Claire character that's in the episode as well is a is a person in real life that he did have an affair with. So I think that he's yeah he does have a bit of a reputation as a womanizer and, and not being the most faithful person. So it it fit, I guess, to him historically. Yeah. So it, it was interesting to basically watch or watch the doctor put him in his place multiple times. Um, and he wasn't able to do what he was normally used to doing. Right. But he, so he's the father of Ada Lovelace, right? Isn't that what they were? Correct. Okay. Yep. So we had already, that's an interesting connection that we, you know, we see that and the doctor actually mentions Ada and he's like, oh, you know, you know, you know, my daughter kind of thing. Um, and then, we, you know, obviously the doctor having met his daughter in a previous episode in the, in Spyfall. Yeah, which is another aspect of the series where it's like, I it, it obviously it has to be intentional that they introduced her in Spyfall. It, it seems too good or strong of a connection for it to be purely coincidental. Like they had these connections planned out in the first place, um, but I found that interesting. I think Ryan was portrayed in an interesting light in this episode as well. Because he had a run-in with Diodori that turned into Diodori wanted to have a duel. But when I'm watching this part kind of unfold, you're kind of thinking, yeah, Ryan, I mean, I don't think it should have led to them having a duel. But Ryan was antagonizing the guy. He, yeah, absolutely. He's being super he's, rude. Ryan, Ryan is an interesting character over the past couple episodes. Like, he's no longer that helpless individual that we've gotten used to from series 11 and then somewhat going into this this series even where it was he was kind of hapless he was kind of goofy these past couple episodes he seems to have come into his own and yet come into his own where he is now confident to maybe being a little overconfident at times um which you see it with polidori in this episode and then you see it even with his interaction with the doctor at the end where basically he makes a call that the doctor then puts him back into his place in regards to that's not the right call to make here. Yeah, it definitely ties into the confrontation that him and the doctor have toward the end of the episode. I thought that he was the way he is acting. It's he has this level of overconfidence, but also, just almost like a negative, like a kind of a bad attitude that he's got going on right now. And I don't know if he's just kind of getting tired of the kind of all the travel, or maybe he's just seen so much now that he just doesn't have the patience for certain types of things. But yeah, yeah he, he's coming across as, as pretty abrasive in a couple of scenes here. And then the doctor does, you know, we can talk about it a little bit more in detail as we get to that part. But, you know, the doctor does have, um, you know, almost lectures him, but not just him, but the whole the whole group um, after some comments that he makes. So we definitely don't have time to unpack it right now as we record this episode. It has nothing to do with this specific episode itself, but it would be interesting to take a look back at each episode and see Ryan as his character himself, because I, I kind of feel like some of the things that he's experienced, some of the things that he's witnessed lead him to what he the decision he makes in this episode at the end when it comes to Percy Shelley and the Siberium and all that other stuff basically being like it's one ver it's it's him versus everybody else right like what in the in the grand scale of things it's better him than the entire world or billions of people I mean we've watched him lose 
his his nan <laughs> we've watched him kind of grow attached to bella and then lose her and the doctor not even turn an eye to it we've seen him's er, his experience with the doctor in so many different lights where she has in some senses we've commented on it been willing to be like up oh, it's only one person whatever and move forward and we've always seen in the here recently the past couple episodes we've seen the third party characters the the guest characters be the ones like doctor can't you save him um and then the doctor's like oh yeah i can and steps in at that point uh, it, i wonder if like some of the experience that ryan has had is leading him to a point where he's not fit to be on the TARDIS anymore. Like he's been so he's now calloused or he's been burned by different things that the doctor's done up to this point that the TARDIS isn't the best place for him anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Well, let's, I do want to unpack that conversation that the doctor has with, with Ryan and the companions later. Um, but let's, let's hit a couple points here before we get to that. Yeah. So, yeah. Because I think that's kind of the big thing for me in this episode. That's the that's the big kind of the the meat of this episode. Really, is that conversation? It all boils down to that for me. So yeah, I kind of want to save it a little bit. But so at this point, I feel like we know the Cybermen's coming. We don't know the Cybermen's coming at this point, but you know because we've seen it, we know. But the we're still kind of trying to figure out what's going on and this house seems to be the problem like the house is the villain and we don't know what's causing all this stuff to happen with the house so all the weird stuff with the bones and the fact that all the rooms are you know kind of moving and they can't seem to get out of the house when they want to get out of the house but there's also this reveal of this kind of specter type thing that's outside the window that they can see um so it's still a lot a lot that's going on right now is still in my mind a misdirect because the big reveal hasn't happened yet and so they're still trying to make us think oh, okay you know this is some sort of haunted house type of story and there's going to be a reveal but when the reveal happens and it's the the lone cyberman i didn't see it coming like i i wasn't sitting there sniffing that out um until they until they showed the the specter and the doctor talking about somebody traveling through time. That was the first time I started to get like an inkling of it. But then yeah. when it was pretty quick after that where the, the full reveal happened. And then I was like, I loved it. Because I was like, oh, yet again, in this season of Doctor Who, they did a really good job of surprising me. No, absolutely. And outside of the, the realization that it was a Cyberman, I mean... Going back to Spyfall, it's like, oh, the Kasavin are showing up again. Like, that's the specter hovering over the lake. Like, they're tying the first episode back into this episode that's coming into a close. We're getting all these things looping together. That's where my mind went initially. Because it's like, oh, Cybermen aren't showing up in this episode. Therefore, the specter that's floating around outside that we're seeing, the the demon from Hades or whatever Shelley thought he saw over the lake— must be a Kasavin, right? It makes sense. We've already seen creatures like this show up. Um, yeah, so <laughs> could they have been prepping for a misdirect from the very first episode of Spyfall? I don't know, but I, I I was right there with you. Yeah, I loved it. And, you know, like we were saying earlier, I was just like, yay. Like, I was ha just happy that you, you kind of called it. Although they they – you called it and then we convinced ourselves we were wrong and then we ended up, you ended up being right. So I, I thought that was pretty cool that you kind of made that connection, um, before the eventual reveal. Um, but let's talk about this guy. Like, so this lone Cyberman, this is the big thing that Captain Jack dropped on us and we've been making speculations as to, you know, what it was going to be. I was, you know, I'll admit I was wrong in my speculation that it was going to possibly be somebody that's, not actually a Cyberman, but using Cyberman armor. This dude's a Cyberman. He just isn't fully converted yet. Um, but I liked this version of a Cyberman because I felt like he was a bit more threatening because yeah. he still had emotion and because you could see his face. It just really added right. a lot to the character for me. Like the Cyberman, although have proven themselves dangerous over the years were never one that I was like, Oh, you know, like they're just so scary. Like this guy was scary. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, there's the the Cybermen have been that like faceless terror, right? They they have no emotion. They have nothing distinguishing about their faces as they march forward and they reap destruction. This guy, there's something about being able to see half of his face and be able to see his mouth move. And I don't know, it, it communicates so much more in that moment. And I do feel like it does enhance him as a Cyberman character. And then add to it the fact that he still has emotion. Um, he kind of flipped his lid a couple times. He the was... Yeah, well, yeah, the whole time. He <laughs> was an interesting... He was an interesting Cyberman, um, which I haven't found the Cyberman interesting all that all that much. So, yeah, spot on for spot on for that. Yeah, I like it when they do interesting new things with these classic uh, monsters because you know we see them so many times. We've seen the Cybermen so many times. We've seen Daleks so many times that it does get kind of. I'm not a huge fan of Daleks, so when they show up, I kind of like, oh, great, another Dalek episode. The Cybermen have traditionally been more entertaining to me and because of what comes along with them, you know, with what has happened to certain companions, it yeah. just feels like stakes are high. Yeah. They just feel, it does feel like you would think at this point, it's almost like they've surpassed the Daleks in some ways, um, as far as the tragedy that they've brought the doctor. But yeah, so I like it that they're bringing back this classic villain again which could get very repetitive and boring, but they did something with it that was very different than what we've ever seen before. This guy was just was way more physical. He just, he had, you know, a lot more emotion and anger and, you know, there was acting going on with this character as opposed to like really bland lines, like, you know, resistance is futile or whatever they say. <laughs> Upgrade, um, <laughs> converts, all those other wonderful phrases that they throw out. Yeah, I mean, the the it feels silly saying it, but the range that we get from the Cybermen from the moment that Mary Shelley takes his hand and was like, you've you've loved and you have felt love. And he kind of like drops his head and then he takes her hand like there were there were moments where it's like, oh, wow, it's not a one dimensional Cyberman. Like there's other things going on here. And then his response was frightening. Right. Yeah, that he just slit his own kids' throats. <laughs> yeah, like, I did not expect that. Definitely did not expect that line to get dropped. Yeah, yeah that, and that was such a good play because there was a moment there where you start to believe that what Mary Shelley was doing was working. Oh, and, and in her eyes, you saw that she believed that it was working. Like she got this, this slight glimmer of hope in her eyes and her face started to form a smile. And then his, his hand slowly worked its way up to her wrist. And then he called her son sickly and, and weak and a runt. And he slit his own kid's wrists or throats. It was, it was frightening. Yeah, absolutely. And I like, I, this guy is a legitimate intimidating villain. And I like that we got so much time with him and I like that he's still part of it. You know, he's he, yeah. that's carrying us into the finale, which we know is going to be huge. And this guy is still around. So this was a brilliant move on their part to not just do a standalone episode right before the finale, but actually do an episode that is kind of a standalone story that ties directly and leads directly into the finale. So we're going to have this same villain who is now... You know, they gave him what he wanted, even though they were warned not to. And now he's teleported off to wherever and they got to go find him. And I just, it's such a great way to tell the story where it's all tying together. Although this, this episode in some ways could be seen as a standalone story. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it is, it is, I am interested just because it seems like Jack's warning about the lone Cybermen, it hints at this character being even more um, than what we experienced in this episode. So I'm really interested to see what happens over the next two episodes that kind of unpack this character a little bit more. And we find out, because Jack had said something about they sent this thing, you know, right? Didn't he say yeah. it, like in that, that type of inflection? Yeah. This thing back in time. And so now we know what the thing is. Yep. Siberium. Siberium. <laughs> 
Siberium. And uh, so we, and we kind of skipped over like Shelly who had been missing was found in the basement and he's actually been the one that's kind of been controlling what's been going on with the house, but it's also been the Siberium that's now a part of him. Yeah. And then the doctor does this like mind meld thing with him, which she's able to see into his memories and see how he got it. And, you know, he basically did this kind of like Gollum thing and reached his hand in the water. Exactly. Did you get Lord of the Rings flashbacks? Oh, absolutely. It was Smeagol's hand going into the water to pick up the ring. That's what it was. Yeah. As soon as, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, Other, other Lord of the Rings fans will probably have had the same reaction, but yeah, I was just like, Oh, look, my precious. Um, Yep. Exactly. So yeah, he picks up what he was calling. um, Oh, what was he calling it? Quicksilver. Yeah, Quicksilver. Isn't isn't that um Mercury? I guess. I, I it's a it's Quick. a Marvel superhero. That's what. Quicksilver. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so yeah, he picks his stuff up, and it then goes into his body, and then it, it fuses to his cerebral cortex. The doctor says later on, but he now I guess so. I was a little confused about the Siberium. Because. It's they were it was revealed later on that this Siberium has it's basically like a database type thing and yeah. it's part of what's going on with the war between the humans and the Cybermen. And I couldn't figure out if this if this stuff was wanting to get back to the Cybermen or if it didn't want to go back to the Cybermen. Like it had yeah. its own uh, kind of its own consciousness, but it was interesting that like it was helping him guard the home away from the Cybermen. But you would think it being a cyber creation that it would actually be trying to get back to the Cybermen. So I was a little unclear on what that things, what the Siberium's intentions were. Yeah. I'm, I'm not entirely sure the way that I interpreted the situation was basically it, it latched on the host and it did the will of the host or it enhanced the host's will. So the Siberian was doing it, but it was based on what Percy Shelley ultimately wanted totally off there because it does seem like it was in more control than what he even was at times. But uh, because even once they do figure out a way to get this, the Siberian out of him, which the doctor basically does another mind meld and forces him to see his own death, which is pretty, pretty dark. Yeah. Um, you know, so he believes he's dead, which then releases the Siberium. But then the Siberium actually doesn't even go back to the the Cybermen. It goes to the Doctor. So it did kind of give this indication that this stuff, although created by the Cybermen, was kind of impartial as to who was using it. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm interested <laughs> to see how it plays out moving forward. Yeah, maybe, maybe there'll be more clarity going into the next couple episodes. But yeah, so... So this kind of leads us to that scene that we were talking about earlier where the doctor is having this conversation and they're they're under a lot of stress at this point because this Cyberman, he's trying to get into the home and he's able and he is able to and you know, he kills a few characters and yeah. but he doesn't kill any main characters yet. So he hasn't he hasn't messed up history yet because he hasn't killed anybody that matters i guess is just of, fletcher and elise yeah Rest in fletcher peace. and elise apparently didn't write any novels later on he's jumping in and out and uh shelly with the help of the siberium is able to basically deflect this guy so every time he kind of teleports into the room he teleports away he can't kind of keep his form there but eventually he's able to and the doctor is having this conversation where ryan like we were talking about earlier kind of recommends like, Hey, why don't we just let this guy die? Because he's just one man and you know, it can save the world if we let this guy die because we don't want the Cybermen to get this stuff that Jack basically said not to let him have what he wants. And the doctor like snaps at Ryan and does a good job of explaining that although he may just be one man, his, his impact on history is, is bigger than that. And so if you let him die, it's going to change the entirety of history, which would also possibly mean that Ryan would never exist or any of the companions would never exist. And, um, and so she's like, she's basically saying you're 
I don't know. I'm at a loss, a loss for words and kind of how to explain this. But basically, she uses the line where she says that this sometimes this team structure isn't flat. It's mountainous with me at the summit and the stratosphere alone to choose. Like she kind of loses her cool at this point and is saying like, hey, I know I try to like I'm translating here. But it's like, I know I try to make you guys feel like equals. But in the end, you're not really equals. Like I'm the one that's really tasked with making these hard decisions that could be life and death death decisions for my companions it could be life and death decisions for the world for the universe and i'm the only one that is qualified to make these decisions and i was eating this up because this is exactly what i love to see from the doctor i love to see these moments where the doctor breaks this facade that she has to put on to act human to to you know, to coexist with these companions. But in the end, it's like she said, it's not a flat structure. <laughs> She's the doctor. And, um, yeah, it, I just loved it. I was really loving the, what was happening in, in the dialogue that they had here. Yeah. And it, it goes back to kind of the stakes that these companions have experienced up to this point. Yeah. There's been some pretty high stakes. Yeah. There's been, threats to the the planet threats to individuals all sorts of threats but there haven't been real choices right there's been choices to save the world or not save the world um it hasn't been the choices between or it hasn't been to choose between two hard options right uh they haven't had to think of this one individual who yeah it is an individual but his life impacts everyone his life impacts a lot of people it has it has a ripple rippling impact throughout history so when she says save the poet save the universe watch people burn now or tomorrow sometimes even i can't win like that those are the those are the two options that she has one choice to make um it is i in i liked seeing her kind of pull back the curtain and make those statements about how far apart she really is um, from everybody else. She tries to play off like their fam, um, that there is a flat team structure. I think that's come up two or three times throughout this entire se- throughout this series alone, where flat team structure, we're all on the same page. Um, they do their own thing, that type of stuff. No, that's that's not the case. When push comes to shove, she is the one that has to make. The doctor is the one that has to make the hard decisions. And they see because react. she's the only one with the perspective, right? She's the only one that can see the big picture. That's no one else in that room was seeing the big picture. They were either seeing that Shelley was going to die or they were seeing that Jack told them not to allow the Cybermen to have it. Um, they couldn't see both. They couldn't see everything at once, but she could. And I mean, she's thousands of years old and the life experience that she's had and the, and all the events that she's lived through just can't compare. And, and she has to live with that reality. And, you know, I, it's, it's just an interesting dynamic. And one of the things I love about Doctor Who is you do put this godlike character um, with normal human beings and trying to have them coexist and seeing the way that she treats them. And we've seen so many different versions of the Doctor. And all of them struggle with this at some time or another. Some are more arrogant and cocky than others. You know, some personas of the Doctor have been kind of where they embrace that, that they're kind of a higher being. And this Doctor hasn't really done that. This Doctor doesn't act like the smartest person in the room like uh, Smith and Tennant would do. There are moments that she kind of does that, but she's very, she's come across as very humble and treat treats her uh, companions with respect and treats them like equals, like she, you know, she alluded to with the flat structure comment. But every uh, doctor is faced with these moments where they just have to admit it and say, you know what, I, you know, I know I'm trying to treat you guys like equals, but we're not equals. And it's just such a cool dynamic to watch and see. And I'm curious to see how the, how Ryan Graham and Yaz, what impact this has on them. You know, yeah. moving forward because now she's just so honest with them and kind of bluntly said these things. Did, they didn't seem to be too impacted by it initially. They kind of sat there and took it and probably were kind of thinking in their heads, yeah, she's right. 
Um, but you would think there'd be some kind of psychological impact when you have a friend that you've been traveling with that you haven't really seen break down. And sometimes when you have somebody break down in front of you, it changes the way you look at that person. Yeah. It's like you said, I'm interested to see what the impact is moving forward. It, It would make more sense or it makes the most sense for it to have a bigger impact on Ryan just because of, he's the one that directly challenged or he's the one that directly that she was directly talking to at that point. Yeah. It was, it was stated much more broadly than that when she talks about the team structure, but it was in direct correction of Ryan's stated perspective on how things ought to have happened. So it will be interesting to see moving forward. I, I, the, the next line that we get from Ryan, which is, minutes later is when she lets the Siberian go uh, to the Cybermen and the Cybermen teleports out and Ryan's like, please tell me that was part of the plan. Um, again, like it, it, he, he seems to be grasping at straws. He, he wants the doctor to have the answers. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see what develops moving forward. Right. Um, yeah. But the doctor, like you were saying, was ultimately faced with a, a really impossible decision, but makes a decision because she's been warned not to give the Cyberman what, what he wants, but she ultimately has to give him what he wants in order to save Lord Byron and to save, you know, initially to save the earth in this moment, you know, because... to save Shelly. Sorry. Oh yes. Shelly. And, and save the earth in this moment because the Cyberman basically claims like, Hey, if you don't, you know, do what I want you to do, I'm going to destroy the earth right here and now. And the doctor's like, well, the earth doesn't end in 1816, you know, you're just bluffing, but she didn't want to take that chance because, you know, although she, she knows what the future holds, those things can change. So, um, yeah, so she basically gives him what he wants and then now has this plan. Okay. Like I now have to fix what I messed up. Yeah. And that's where we're leading into the the next couple episodes where there's going to be this uh cyber cyberman war with human humanity and we don't really know too much about it um other than just a couple clips that they've released not even clips just like a little teaser that had a, a couple scenes but yeah all all they really showed us is some more cybermen and and a new character I think pops up in in one of the in one of the scenes but yeah, and I'm not going to lie. The the scenes that they did show, I have no idea how to place that time period. Like the people seemed, again, in the past, um, but I thought we were jumping in the future. So there, there's some uh, digression in costuming <laughs> once we get to the future. We wear clothes that appear like they're from the 30s or <laughs> 20s. But Yeah, I don't know. And maybe they jump around a little bit in time before they eventually land into the future. You know, it is two episodes, so yeah, yeah. So we'll see where we go from here. But yeah, I think they've been doing a good job this season and setting all this stuff up. And I'm, I, I like this episode a lot. I, I initially, upon the first watching, was a little bored with kind of the pace of it and kind of the mystery with the house. I wasn't really buying into it. I'm okay. What's the catch? Like I'm just kind of waiting for the catch, and you know, some of the just dramatic acting of the characters and stuff. Like I said before, I'm, I'm not someone who reads a lot of Gothic fiction or knows a lot about these, these writers. So I wasn't that invested in it, but you know, I'm sitting next to my wife who loves that type of stuff and she was eating it up. I think it's probably one of her favorite episodes of the season. So I think a lot of it just depends on your, your taste. But for me, I thought overall it was a solid episode, but the strength for me was the Cybermen stuff and the doctor, you know, kind of breaking down. That was like, for me, that was gold. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's a lot of things left in this episode that we could continue to just talk about. But ultimately I did really enjoy this episode. Um, I'm going to reserve my judgment on where it falls into the season. I felt like I had a really good feeling in my mind in regards to kind of my rankings. Um, but here over the past couple of weeks, all that's gone out the door. I don't know where I stand anymore. It's going to take some time to sit back and think through it. But this episode, in my opinion, was 
very, very, very strong. Um, I did enjoy the the period piece aspect of it. I did enjoy kind of the the strange character aspects that you might not have enjoyed on your side. Um, the Mr. X of the house and the hand and and kind of the stuff that was going on there. And then the ultimate appearance of the Cybermen, all of it, it was hitting on all cylinders for me the entire time. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I'm, I, I, I said this, that like the last four episodes, as I looked at the synopsis of them, I didn't think I could be disappointed. And so far I've been right. Um, so I'm really banking on the next two episodes being really solid. And if so, this series has been incredible. Yeah, this this series slash season has been such an improvement in since the last the last season for me. I've just I've I've really enjoyed it. Um, one thing we did kind of skip over was the the symbols and and numbers that Shelley when he was kind of possessed with the Cyberium, where yeah. he had written all over the walls and stuff, and and they actually it sounds like that stuff is going to be part of what they are using to find the Cybermen. Uh, Yaz had said at the end of the episode that was like coordinates. I don't know if there's more to it, if it's just coordinates or if there's more information that's there that's going to help them in their you know quest to to defeat the Cybermen in the end. So that ties in as well. And then <laughs> at the very end, the the funny part where Graham talks about the ghosts, <laughs> I, I like yes. that a lot. You know, he's kind of like, well, what's you know what was up with those ghosts? And the doc the doctor's kind of like, what what are you talking about? You know. And Graham's like, well, don't you have some kind of explanation as to what they were? Because, you know, they can't actually be real ghosts. And he, she was like, well, maybe they could be. Yeah. So, ghosts don't exist unless they do. Yeah. And they, and the funny thing is they never, you know, they did show up a couple of times to Graham and they brought him food and stuff, these ghosts. And they never really kind of explain all that, like what that was about. Yeah. And it is kind of funny that they just kind of left it hanging, which almost makes me wonder if there is going to be some something else. The the fact that they called it out, like if they wouldn't have brought it up again and they would have just let it go, like I would have chalked it up to poor planning. They intended to do something with it and then they just kind of forgot about it. It would have been a plot hole. Um, but the fact that they called it out at the end I think it's just one of those interesting quirky aspects about this episode that they threw in there just for kicks and giggles. And I'm totally fine with it. Um, it works for me for some reason in this episode where there's so much other things going on in the background that you could talk about having these two random ghosts appear um, for no reason other than just to have this funny experience at the end. I'm all for it. To me, it works. I like it. I don't need them to show back up again. I don't need an explanation. Um, I think it's it's just a funny little quirk of this episode. Yeah, and if that's all it is, I, I completely agree with you. I think it was very well done and funny. Uh, but it would be pretty cool if like maybe two seasons from now, the same two guys <laughs> show up and they've been following the doctor around or something. You're like, oh yeah, I remember them from that one episode. You know, they're his relatives. There's they are Graham's relatives. They just brought him food because they they. They they knew he they were related. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So that was another another pretty solid episode overall, and you know, continuing the trend I think for the season and just getting me more excited about what's coming in these next two. I, I really don't. I'm not looking at what I've seen so far and what they've been setting up for. I mean, even the timeless child stuff. You know, that didn't even come up in this episode, but that's no. still mystery to be unraveled so i i just can't imagine these these next couple episodes being disappointing nope and that's saying a lot for me (laughs) 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 um yeah so yeah they have they have a lot to bring back up um yeah so so much more i could bring up about this episode but i think i think we're good we're in a good place you good no more key points no was there there anything you were dying to talk about that we didn't did i shortchange you on something no, there's just a there's a throwaway line that the doctor throws out there when talking about the Cybermen, um, and she's telling him not to follow her, and she says, "I will not lose anyone else to that." Um, it's just a, I mean, I will not lose anyone else to that. She's already lost quite a few to it, so I just thought yeah. it was an interesting line that is just shoved in there in the middle of nothing, and then they just move right on. That is a great line, and it does hold a lot of impact. And I think uh, they they actually did a really good. YouTube video 
where they did some behind the scenes stuff. So if anybody wants to look that up, it's on the the official YouTube uh, or the official Doctor Who channel on YouTube. But they did this behind the scenes about the Cybermen and the creation of the Lone Cybermen. But they talk a little bit about you know the Doctor and kind of that line and the and and kind of what she's referring to, and with the most recent loss of Bill um, being pretty fresh. Yeah. So yeah, that's it is it is interesting how the Cybermen do tend to be the ones that uh, maybe aren't you know the number one villain against the Doctor like the Daleks would probably be considered, but considering what that they've done and in the different tragedies that they've caused the companions, it they they definitely they have left a major impact on the Doctor. So yep. that was a good line. So yeah, good call out. All right, man. We're done. Well, I think we're good to wrap up. As usual, you guys can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on a lot of different podcatchers, actually. If, if you if you search for Bad Wolf Radio, you should be able to find us in various places. But Apple is where you can definitely find us in, all, in our entire library of episodes. And also, that's where you can leave us a review if you haven't done so yet. You can also find us on Twitter, at Bad Wolf Podcast. We're on Facebook, Bad Wolf Radio. We have our Facebook group that um, has some great conversations going on there and you can jump in and join that and until next time darkness had no need of aid from them she was the universe best closing of an episode so far yes 